0: The epistle for this second Sunday of Lent is taken from St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Brethren, we pray and beseech you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so also you would walk, that you may abound the more. For you know what precepts I have given to you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication that every one of you should know how to possess his body in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles that do not know God, and that no man overreach nor circumvent his brother in business, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, as we have told you before and have testified. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto unsanctification in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The Gospel is taken from the 17th chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus takes unto him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brings them up into a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his garments became white as snow. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then Peter, answering, said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. And as he was yet speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and, lo, a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And the disciples, hearing, fell upon their face and were very much afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said to them, Arise, and fear not. And they, lifting up their eyes, saw no one but only Jesus. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man, till the Son of Man be risen from the dead. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, when you come to the church on a Sunday in Lent, you think that you can easily anticipate what the sermon is going to be about. You think Father is surely going to treat about the horrors of sin or the need for mortification and penance, the certainty of death, perhaps the passion of our Lord. And perhaps you're on your way to church this Sunday and you're like, what is Father Robinson? Going to speak about today. Maybe he's going to keep talking about our need to work in the spiritual life, or he's going to comment on the Epistle of St. Paul. Well, I'm not going to talk to you about any of these things today. I'm rather going to choose a very unlikely topic. And I'm going to choose it almost because I think Holy Mother Church is asking me to speak about this subject. Today, I'm going to talk to you about heaven. The gospel today speaks to us about the transfiguration of our Lord, a brief moment of his earthly life when he allowed that heavenly glory to shine through and reveal itself. This glory of our Lord's body came from the glory of his soul, his human soul. And the glory of his human soul came from the fact that he possessed in that soul the beatific vision. In his human soul, in his human faculties, he was enjoying the vision of God while he was still on this earth. In other words, the glory that was manifested in our Lord's human nature on that day of his transfiguration is the exact same glory that you will have one day If you make it to heaven and possess the beatific vision, you will have that transfigured glory. If you go to heaven, your body will be transfigured. Your face will shine like the sun. Your garments will become white like snow. Why would Holy Mother Church tell us this story, choose this story specifically, When we are in the midst of Lent, we're 25% of the way through Lent, and so we still have a long way to go. Why did our Lord himself become transfigured before his three favored apostles? The answer to both of these questions is the same. In other words, the same reason why our Lord transfigured himself before the apostles and why Holy Mother Church presents this story to us in the midst of Lent, it's exactly the same reason. St. Thomas tells us why our Lord was transfigured, and this reason, as I say, is the same reason why the church tells us about this story today. He says, look, if you want someone to travel on a road that is extremely rough and difficult, but the end of the road, the destination that you reach after the road is traveled, is delightful, then you need to start by instructing the person about that end of the road. You need to tell them what's at the end of the road before they start to travel all the way along it and experience all the difficulties of that road. So that you can motivate them, so that they will have the proper motivation to, um, slog it the whole way, you know, to keep going when that the, the going is, is difficult. Take, for instance, the construction of a massive church like, like they're, they're planning to do in St. Mary's. It's going to take a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to build the biggest church of the society, um, in the whole world. And the ground has not yet been broken. There's going to be a, a long, and difficult road to the completion of, of the church. And so those who are designing the church, they, they know that it's going to be difficult. And so they begin by showing, uh, pictures to people of the finished product. They give people the ability to do a virtual tour of the church before even the church has even been started. So you can go through and see what the church will look like once All that blood, sweat, and tears has been shed and fallen to the ground, and and the, the edifice is constructed. And so that image of the completed church is meant to sustain all of those who are involved in the project throughout the whole building of the church. It's meant to motivate them to persevere in their labors until they reach the end of that long road. And the exact same thing was true for the apostles. Our Lord fully anticipated that the apostles would find things very difficult. And this is a a, a key characteristic when you read the Gospels. When you see our Lord speaking to people, he doesn't hide anything. It's the tactic of the devil to, to put before you all the easiness and hide all the difficulty. He says, follow me into pleasures and delights, And, in fact, when it's executed, you find only misery. Our Lord is kind of the opposite. He says, look, take up your cross daily and follow me, and then when you struggle through that road, you're going to get heaven. If you read the words of Matthew 16, just before this passage, at the beginning of chapter 17, you will find our Lord telling the apostles the following... If any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for he that will save his life shall lose it and he that shall lose his life for my sake shall find it this is the difficult road of this life it's a road full of crosses and trials and our lord's not going to hide that for us from us he's not going to change it He's not going to tone it down. And because of that, if if we did not know what was at the end of the road, if we did not know what would happen after we were carrying that cross throughout our whole life and struggling and striving to be good, we would say, the heck with that road. I don't I'm not interested in that road. We might say to ourselves, there's this very easy road over here, a life of pleasure and selfishness. Why should I travel this other road where there are continual difficulties, where I'm having to deny myself on a regular basis? Why should I willfully undertake 40 days of mortification in Lent when I don't have to? You would see no major difference between the road of pleasure and selfishness and the royal road of the cross if you did not know the end result of both of those roads. And so that is when Holy Mother Church steps in and shows us the transfiguration. She says, it's because of that. That's why you're traveling this road. When you get to the end of that road, you get transfigured. At the end of the road of the cross is glory. You will be made glorious. Let me tell you a little bit about that glorious state so that you will be strengthened to continue on this difficult road of the cross. And my dear faithful, that's why I'm going to speak to you about heaven today. That's why we're going to try to forget for the short space of this sermon. Okay, kind of a short. We're going to try to forget all the difficulties that we have in this life, all of our trials and tribulations, all of our struggles against the world, the flesh, and the devil, think about what it would be like to be in heaven. We're going to especially try to forget for a little while the misery that we inflict upon one another. The greatest trials that we have in our lives are those that come from our fellow human beings. It's not the weather. It's not sickness. In a sense, it's not even death that's responsible for the greatest of our trials. Rather, it's ingratitude, hatred, disrespect, callousness, calumny, betrayal, discourtesy, meanness. These are the things that create the greatest trials in our lives. No greater suffering is inflicted on human beings than that which comes from human selfishness. But let us set these things aside for a little while. Let us not think about the battle that we have to wage against selfishness in our Lenten practices. Instead, let us think of the reward that will be waiting for us at the end of the sorrowful mysteries of this life for those who persevere to the end. That reward is glory, heavenly glory, eternal, everlasting glory. When you think about heavenly glory, you have to think about certain characteristics of the glorified state that will be true of everyone who makes it to heaven. These are the same things that were manifested by our Lord on the day of his transfiguration. The first and most noticeable characteristic is beauty. Glorification makes a person beautiful. It makes them shine like the sun. Think about how the earth looks when it's dark outside. When you go outside and it's, it's dusk or it's just the middle nighttime, everything is somber, nothing looks beautiful because nothing can be seen properly Even when it's simply overcast outside, all the things that are around us that we see lose a substantial measure of their natural beauty. But when the sun comes out, the entire landscape is transformed. Our eyes are inebriated with a dazzling array of brilliant colors. What before seemed utterly uninteresting now entrances us. It fixes us. We're in awe at the natural beauty of God's creation. And when we're overwhelmed by beauty, joy enters our heart. Joy kind of washes over our being. We feel lighter and happier. And when the feeling of joy is very intense, we do not want to be parted from the thing that is giving us joy. We are, as it were, transfixed. We can't move as long as the source of that joy, is present before us. And this is exactly what happened to the apostles. They were overwhelmed by the beauty of our Lord's glory. St. Peter wanted to find a way for them to remain there for an extended period of time. He wanted to be there overnight, indefinitely. He wanted to construct tents so that they could establish a dwelling place there so that they'd be there as long as possible. Another characteristic of glory, and because of our limited time, I can can only get into these limited characteristics, is courtesy. This may seem really strange, but when someone is in the presence of heavenly glory, they take on a much greater reverence and grace than they would have here on earth. Look how much respect and courtesy St. Peter has in the presence of this heavenly vision, when our Lord is transfigured with Moses and Elias. He expresses his delight of being there, and he offers to perform an act of service to them. And when he does that, he phrases his words with the deepest courtesy. He's very courteous. courteous. He says, If you would like, I can set up three tents for you, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elias. We can be assured that in heaven, all of the trouble that we cause for one another will be completely wiped out. Because we will all be having the vision of God, we will not be able to help but have the greatest respect and courtesy for one another. There in heaven, human relationships will be absolutely and utterly perfect. On Shrove Tuesday, I was speaking to the high school girls about the apparitions of Our Lady to St. Bernadette because from these apparitions as well, we can get a little taste, a little sense of what it will be like when we reach heaven, God willing. We see in those apparitions the very same characteristics that are manifested in our Lord's transfiguration. The people around St. Bernadette obviously could not see Our Lady. But St. Bernadette described her as a woman far beautiful, far more beautiful than any woman she had ever seen in her life. And the people who came, the people who were attracted to go to the grotto, because, I mean, if you just go there and you just see a girl kneeling down in front of a rock, I mean, why would you want to go to see that? What would be the interest? Well, the interest was in looking at St. Bernadette. St. Bernadette was so transformed in herself just by looking at Our Lady, just by looking at the beauty of someone who had a glorious heavenly body, completely transformed the the whole aspect of St. Bernadette herself. St. Bernadette herself became extremely beautiful. Just by the fact that she was looking at Our Lady and everybody wanted to look at Bernadette. Even though they couldn't see Our Lady, just the transformation that took place in her by looking at Our Lady made everyone, as it were, in a quasi ecstasy. Saint Bernadette was in a full ecstasy looking at Our Lady who was glorious. The other people were in a half ecstasy looking at the glory reflected upon Saint Bernadette when she was looking at Our Lady. There was a silence like a church during the apparitions. No one spoke. They did not want to be disturbed. They didn't want anything to distract them. They didn't want anything to take them away from looking at this peasant girl who was transformed in the state of her ecstasy. Bernadette herself, besides the fact that she became very beautiful during the apparitions, would weep tears of joy. There was just tears continually streaming down her face during the apparitions because she was so taken out of herself with bliss when looking at Our Lady. People could not get her to take her eyes off of Our Lady. They, the first apparition, they thought she was having some medical condition, you know, she was having some sort of um, catalepsy, you know, where she's just completely... Immobile, and and they were trying to move her, and they they they, just—they were trying to get her eyes to to blink or something like that, and they couldn't—they couldn't do it because she was so entranced by looking at the beauty of Our Lady. Besides that, absolutely everything in the relationship between Our Lady and Saint Bernadette was graceful and courteous, with a grace and courtesy that was not of this world. Our Lady spoke to St. Bernadette in a very courteous language. Would you do me the favor of coming here for two weeks every day? Language like that. Meanwhile, St. Bernadette was most respectful to Our Lady, and when she saw the grace, the heavenly grace, in the movements of Our Lady, she would imitate it. And again, the people were just utterly transfixed, and just seeing simple gestures performed by St. Bernadette when she would bow or when she would make the sign of the cross. The way she made the sign of the cross was so astounding that people would walk away and say, that must be the way they make the sign of the cross in heaven. Just a simple gesture on the part of St. Bernadette was so graceful. It was extremely striking. So my dear faithful, during Mass today, just think a little bit about the life of heaven. Think a little bit about how beautiful it must be, how joyful, how courteous things are in heaven, how all of the human sorrows of this life will just utterly melt away when we reach there. And then remember that in the end, this life is extremely short. Everything absolutely everything in this life passes. This too will pass. When anything troubles you, you have to remember that it will not last forever. The road of the cross is not forever. The joyful mysteries are temporary. The sorrowful mysteries are temporary. It's only the glorious mysteries that are forever. One day, God willing, you will be in heaven, you will be in a state of glorification and perfect bliss. That is what is awaiting you at the end of the road of the royal way of the cross. And if you think about this, this will give you the strength to travel that road to heaven to make a very ardent Lent, Lenten practices, to really undertake this spiritual training, which is really a preparation for your time in heaven During this time, look especially to our sorrowful mother. I mean, we know at one point she was there, standing at the foot of the cross, immersed in an ocean of sorrows far greater than anything else that we have experienced. But now she is radiant in glory in heaven. She has this unbelievable beauty that if we saw it, even for a few moments, We couldn't move. We couldn't think about anything else. We ourselves would be utterly transformed just having a few moments of looking upon her. We would remember it for the rest of our lives. It would stick in our minds just for the whole rest of our lives. Just like the transfiguration was fixed in the mind of St. Peter, he writes about it at the beginning of his first epistle. Just like the apparitions of Our Lady stuck in the mind of St. Bernadette and sustained her for the whole rest of our life. Now Our Lady is radiant in glory. As often uh, as we think of her beauty and heavenly glory, we will be sustained in our struggles here below. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.